0: Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast. It's international week and obviously you didn't want us to shut up about football. So here comes one of our rare Blue Monday specials. And I am scanning my brain to think of a living person who's been involved in more Ipswich Town match days than this guy that we're very, very pleased to have on. I won't say who it is in case you're listening via audio, because I'm sure you'll recognise this voice with just a few words. So please say hello, special guest.
4: Hello there, Ben. Hello, fellow blues. Hope you're all well. Well, this fine afternoon for me, but whenever you're watching it, listening to it, yeah, hope you're well.
0: It's like silk, isn't it, Rob? (laughs) Do Do you ever worry people who use their voices for a living? Do you ever worry about getting nodules or anything, and then you can't make any money?
4: you know what? Occasionally I do lose my voice. I don't know why it happens, but maybe, I don't know, once or twice a year I will lose my voice. There was one match not that long ago when I turned up, but I'd literally got no voice, and uh, I gave it a go, but there was nothing, and somebody had to stand in for me. Really embarrassing. What can you do? So, yeah, it does occasionally happen, and without a voice I can't, Do my radio show i can't do ipswich town you know discos anything like that yeah it is a worry thankfully it's usually over in about two or three days but um yeah
0: but it's beautiful and silky and you've probably realized by now that we are here with ipswich town announcer which seems a very american kind of word rob chandler rob sorry how are you doing
4: yeah, it's good to be here, Ben. Thanks for asking me.
0: No, no problem. Well, before we get on to the football, just tell us about the the day job and ha- how you got there and what was, what was the path?
4: Do you know what? This is the job I wanted since I was about 10. Well, I tell a lie, the first thing I wanted to be was a footballer, of course. Then my other great passion, Speedway, came into my life. So I thought, oh, actually, maybe a Speedway rider. Uh, but i've always loved music and the whole thing of radio You know taking it with you is very personal the jingles everything it just I just fell in love with radio and decided That's what I wanted to do from a very young age. So I sat in my bedroom pretending I was doing a show Um I had to bide my time. I suppose I did disco school discos and then a mobile disco around ipswich uh, and then the big break came When uh, I give my age away here, but my big break came when I was 20 and I managed to get onto uh, Radio Orwell. And how that came about was quite interesting because I read a feature in the local paper on a guy called Patrick Ede. Now, there's some symmetry here because Patrick now works on a match day in the media center. But back then he was on the air and the local paper did a feature on him. And I read this feature and I thought, my God, this is me. This is, you know, Patrick is me. He was Ipswich born and bred, was a big Ipswich fan, had worked for the co-op. His careers teachers had told him, don't be ridiculous. You can't work on the radio. Nobody, you know, nobody ever does that. So many people want to do it and there are not many opportunities. Um, Yeah, so I wrote to him and I sent a tape and I said, you know, I also, you know, tick, 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 tick. Sent him a tape of some stuff that I'd done in my bedroom. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Um, <laughs> All right, poor Joe. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, let, let me rephrase that. I sent him a tape of some radio links that I'd done on my home hi fi <laughs> in my bedroom. And uh, he, he liked the sound of it. He played it to the boss who liked the sound of it. And they invited me in to make the tea and watch the pros for a while and then they let me loose on a late show where I couldn't do too much damage and um, I did sort of fill in relief work for about three years while carrying on with my full-time job for the for the Ipswich co-op the fuel department on Derby Road which is no longer there um, and then finally they took me on uh, after about three years of doing both and um, yeah that was, uh, that was how I got into it.
0: Do you think you were, um, you were born with the voice or did it, it something that you kind of developed and um, came up with yourself?
4: Do you know what? That's very, actually, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think maybe back then I had more of an Ipswich accent, which I've perhaps managed to train myself not to have so much. And maybe, yeah, I think you do develop a bit of a radio voice. I mean, I try not to be. Hey, everyone. Hey, good morning. How you doing? You know, I try not to be like that. I try to be natural. Although, having said that, if ever I hear old recordings of myself, I think, oh my god, Noel Edmonds, who was one of my radio heroes, and I think maybe I (laughs) he did all right, to be (laughs) fair, didn't he? Yeah, he did all right. I mean, he was a genius on the radio back in the day. People forget, I think, you know, they see him as, you know, Mr. Corporate and deal or no deal. But back in his early radio days, was incredibly inventive and original. And I think maybe I subconsciously copied him to a degree. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you can't, you know, if i would got a different voice, I have a different voice. So maybe I have been lucky. But... You know, by the way, thank you for the compliment. Uh, it's nice to know that it's a it's a decent voice on the microphone.
0: Um, when you were at Radio Orwell, were there any um, did that parlay into football at all, or was it always always music?
4: I suppose it did to a degree because back then, as people will remember of a certain age, Radio Orwell was the way that you followed Ipswich away from home. You know, there was no BBC no, back then no twitter exactly and radio orwell was brilliant you know the guys we had pete barraclough was the original sports guy and then peter slater and everyone will remember those evenings or those saturdays listening to the sports show and a song would be playing and suddenly there would be the the crowd cheering goal action and you think oh no (laughs) you know who's it going to be for please god it's rib and you know thankfully back then of course more often than not it was a goal it was a goal for town but i mean what fantastic days they were Ben, back then you know in the in the late 70s early 80s you know you'd got the football team achieving so much the speedway team you know which as i uh what what a time to be alive you know as people as people say but it really was you know you're your hometown was on the map absolutely. In a, in a massive way. And, you know, it was just fantastic times. And, of course, being able to, to go on the radio and reflect how well our two teams were doing and the players would come on the show. I remember John Louie would come on and do a Thursday Speedway spot with Andy Archer. People might remember that. Uh, Ipswich was just a fantastic place to be, you know, around about that time.
0: Um, we'll get to football in a minute. So you've ended up now um, across across the border. What uh, other than maybe a pay rise? What what tempted you? What tempted you in that direction?
4: Again, a really good question. Um, you know, people back then said, "What are you doing?" You know, so it was 1984, and we heard that norwich was getting a commercial radio station and to my mind it was a bit of an adventure you know it was only 40 miles up the road so i could still easily get back in an hour to watch the town to see the witches and to see my family who stayed in suffolk um but it was you know the thought of being in from day one was quite appealing and i did like norwich as a city You know, there's no denying it is a, you know, uh, a lovely part of the world. Um, I don't know. Looking back, it's strange because I'd only done two full years, you know, in full time work for Radio Orwell, five years in total. But somehow that felt like the right time to try something new. Um, So I applied, got the job and was in from day one. And Radio Broadland was the station you know, hit the ground running, did incredibly well, lots of great memories from those times Um, Looking back, I maybe should have kept my football allegiance a little quieter, (laughs) you know I, I made no secret of the fact that I was an Ipswich fan and I suppose, you know, still being the early 80s I was still riding on the back of all our success, so it felt quite good to say hey, you know (laughs) <laughs> I'm a blue. And the fact is, Radio Broadland covered quite a big part of Suffolk. When you think that Lowestoft yeah. was one of its key areas, Hale, Strabrook, Saxmundham, you know, all sort of came under the Radio Broadland catchment area. So it felt okay to be the voice on that radio station representing that part of the audience that who were blue you know Norwich obviously were the the prime team as far as coverage was concerned but Ipswich also got a mention in fact for several seasons I was the Ipswich reporter I would go down to Portman Road and report back on a Saturday afternoon for Radio Broadland on the Ipswich games but it did make for some interesting especially as I played Sunday football back then And Radio Broadland had a team, because it was quite well known, you know, uh, am I allowed to use bad language on this? Yeah, yeah,
0: go for it.
4: Just check. You know, it would be, um, oh, you're that bloody Ipswich fan, or there's that, you know, beep of an (laughs) Ipswich fan. So quite often there would be just the occasional late tackle that I had to put up with and comments, you know, off the ball and stuff. Yeah, so... (laughs) <laughs> maybe looking back i could have given myself a, an easier life if i'd kept quiet about it
0: interesting um let's let's um segue into the actual fandom then so can you take me from um because everybody has this this period where they kind of fall in love with with the football team and with the you know whoever it is they're going to support um yeah what was that for you and you're probably going to have to mention what you just um, said as in coming back and working, but how did that then parlay into actually working at the club um, on a match day?
4: I had no choice but to be an Ipswich fan. My mum was crazy about football and used to know some of the players back in the day. She would stand on churchmans on the terracing and uh, some of the players would come over and chat with her. My dad used to go home and away. My brother, who's five years older than me, he was a fan. So I was very quickly aware of, you know, Ipswich town. Um, and I, football was a massive part of my life back then lived and died for football, played it in the garden, played for the school team, kicked the ball around. In fact, um, just diverting slightly, because any time I saw something that impressed me, I had to replicate it at home. So the day after my brother first took me to Foxhall Heath, the next day there was a speedway track in my back garden. <laughs> Same with the football, my back garden was turned into a... a mini- so much so that I used to pinch my mums, well not my mums, but the, the toilet rolls in the house and throw those around the back garden. Just to make it look properly authentic, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I was desperate to get to Portman Road as soon as I could. I was deemed too young until England won the World Cup and there was such euphoria after that. I was allowed to go for the season, so it would have been 66-67 when I first started going. And I remember the team we played were in red and white I've forgotten who it was now. I think it might have been someone like Bristol City, but we won the game convincingly and so I was hooked from that moment. So I was, I was, what would I have been then? Uh, seven. That's when I first started going.
0: So Bobby Robson comes along. 1960, yeah. 1969. I, my, this week in ITFC history, colleagues will kill me if I get that date wrong, but um, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't, I wasn't around. Um, take me through that, Take me through that, yeah. that time as a fan. Talk to me about players and teams and, and what, what you saw. I can remember
4: it. I mean, I was a kid, you know, and Ipswich were a second division team. Everyone in my class, in my year at school, had big teams they followed. So Chelsea were my second team, if you like, and I was Peter Osgood in the playground. But Ipswich always came first. I think it would, would have been Bill McGarry, wasn't it? Uh, around about that time But I can remember Vaguely I can remember Bobby Robson coming and I can remember him being You know booed It didn't work out for him to begin with And I can vaguely remember the Robson out chants. Um But obviously you know The cobbles did what they did Stood by him And the rest just followed And from memory You know from the early 70s It was just a fantastic ride of Cup runs, success in the league, European nights, wonderful times.
0: Um, so you mentioned that um, when you were working for the radio in Norwich, that you were sent down to cover Ipswich. Was that your f- mm. was that your first time actually? You know, working at football rather yes. than being a fan. Take take me through that. Yeah. How how was how was going from? I know it's only a few seats over there to over there, but how yeah. how, how did that change the um, experience and how you looked at everything?
4: Yeah, it, it was a diff- it, it was quite different. I mean, you know, all all through the years, I stood on the north stand terracing or churchman's. Then I bought season tickets, sat up in the cobble stand first of all, then. Still call it the Pioneer. You know what I mean? Me too. Yeah. Uh, So then to doing the reporting, it was something I always wanted to try. Uh, So it was good. But, I mean, I I just used to celebrate the goals (laughs) in the press press box as much as I did on the terraces, you know. And because I'd get looks from the press guys who just sat there, stony-faced, you know, reporting. I did get in trouble once. We played Norwich. I think it was a Friday night game. We beat them two 0 It was the Tariko and Mason Remember, yeah. goals, possibly on Sky
0: ninety-seven,
4: something like that, wasn't it? And I actually I swung from the uh, you know the the what what would you call it uh, the rafters. Right. I actually leapt up on the rafters and was swing in the press box, and the steward came over and said, <laughs> "Any more of that, and you're out." And this was while reporting, you know, actually. Maybe I wasn't working that night with it being on Sky Friday night. Perhaps I wasn't working, but I still watched it from up there.
0: So were you on headsets Uh, back to Norwich then?
4: um, Well, no, it was just a phone. Just a phone dial up. You know, it's been a goal at Portman Road. (laughs) Okay, stand by. You know, and then yeah, goal at Portman Road. Let's cross to Rob Chandler. Yeah, Ipswich. You know, one up. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Yeah, put the phone down. Um, I then did did a few games for Sky actually and talk sport and again it was on a mobile mobile phone i mean everything is isdn you know super stupid video then it was a mobile phone <laughs> i remember i got into an argument with a man united guy once it was ipswich man united and he was what would he have been doing it for piccadilly as they were back then a manchester based radio station anyway and he was doing a, a little commentary and steve palmer Won the ball, I thought, quite fairly. And um, I think he he questioned it and said, you know, something about it. It should have been a foul and a yellow card. And I sort of scoffed. (laughs) (laughs) I went like this. And he he became aware of it. And there was a little bit of a, you know, standoff between us. Luckily, Ipswich won the game. So I had the last laugh. Might have been something like 3-2, that one. That was... Was it 3-2? yeah.
0: Was that the relegation season? I, th- I think that was the, the, the horrible 94-95 uh, with the 9-0 that we won't mention the other end. I think all, yeah. all the season before. Sorry, because I know people... sometime
4: time around then, wasn't it? I know
0: people who listen to this podcast will know the exact date and, and time yeah. and month and date of that. But um, Right, so how and why and who, how does this opening to be the announcer...
4: Um, Yeah, I'll answer this eventually, won't I? You've asked me about three times now, Ben. But how
0: does that (laughs) open up? And um, because let's be honest, a lot of people they would love to do that job, wouldn't they? You know, you you, you're getting paid to come down and watch the football from that lovely little seat in the you know with the glass bit in the in in the corner there. Who? Sorry, I'm going to do it in the form of about eight questions in a row. Who was doing it before? Um, And how How did you get asked And and how did it happen And how long did it take you to say yes
4: (laughs) Okay (laughs) I think I've got that Um, It was a guy called Dave Richardson Who was doing it And I think he was dubbed Disco Dave by the fans Because he did have that radio voice Bless him And I don't think he knew a great deal about football And he certainly didn't know a great deal about Ipswich Town I remember what used to knock me is that he used to, when he announced the team, he would, he would announce John Walk as big John Walk. And I used to think he's not actually that big, is he really? You know, uh, anyway, I'm going off, off, you know, off piste here. Disco Dave was doing it. And I think there was, a, there was a clamoring from the fans for someone who actually knew the club a bit better and the job a bit better to take over. Sorry, Dave, if you ever get to hear this, you're a lovely guy. Um, (laughs) But David Sheepshanks decided that he was going to change it. And for a while, he alternated between me, Stephen Foster, and another guy who was on SGR, whose name escapes me for the moment. So we were taking it in turns. So one game in three, it would be me. And it was the season that we played Sheffield United in the playoff semi-finals. And I ninety-seven, got, ninety
0: no, 96-97. Was it? With Charlton 97-98 and then the two against Bolton. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got that right.
4: Okay. So it was that season we were taking it in turns. Now, it just so happened that my night fell on the evening of the home leg of the playoff semi-final. And it was the first time I had this, this idea because I'd introduced singing the blues. I was aware that the crowd was singing, never felt more like singing the blues. So I suggested to the guys at the football club that we play the Dave Edmonds version of that song. We'd won a game on a Saturday afternoon. We stuck Dave Edmonds singing the blues on and the whole ground clapped along to it and sung it. And I thought we're onto something here. And so the club had their own version of it recorded, love it or hate it. (laughs) That was the one that we adopted. And I had a brainwave driving down to Portman Road that I would get each stand to sing it in turn and then for the whole ground to sing it to get the atmosphere going. And it worked an absolute treat. Churchmans did it, cobbled pioneer i think i saved the north stand till last and then said right everybody and literally even now as i think of it i'm getting goosebumps because you have to experience the noise of the crowd down on that pitch when they're in full voice it's astonishing ben it really is um you know
0: can i just talk about that because obviously football fans can be a well, that that could be a bunch of arseholes, can't they <laughs> you know to to say it lightly you must have had a hell of a lot of self confidence to want to go go around and try and, try and do this did did, yeah. did it not come into your brain what if what if this all goes wrong
4: yeah yeah there there, there was always a chance that people would be you know bugger off Rob. you know we we're, we're just here to enjoy the game we you know we're not going to get involved but it was a calculated risk because you know, it was a playoff semi-final, for goodness sake. You know, if you can't be motivated and get behind the team for that, then you never will. So it was a calculated gamble. It paid off, fortunately. I felt great. The noise was incredible. And, again, when the teams came out, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It was amazing. But the interesting thing is you it's um, its surprising how much you can hear, you know, of what's being said from the crowd. You know, when I go and do the penalty, shootout or whatever you know those half-time games you can hear stuff that's being said from from the north stand you know so if you're a player and you're getting a bit of stick you know you believe me you hear it so do you, it's, it's interesting
0: do you think this is what ultimately got you the got you the gig then one the fact that yeah. you were a, you were a, you were a fan and you weren't just reading off a off, off a list or a script and two the singing the blues thing then
4: that's exactly it Ben. David Sheepshanks at the end of that season rung me up and said, you know, thanks for your efforts, Rob. You know, the other two guys were great. But the atmosphere you got for that Sheffield United game, I want that all the time. That's what I want at Portman Road. I want it to be rocking. Would you now do it on a full-time basis? And there was a little there was some doubt. I I, you know, did I want to turn my love my passion into a job right you know it's great going along no pressure you know shouting swearing singing you know jumping on people hugging strangers when the team scores you know to then just have that discipline and that you know a a little bit of pressure on you you know to get it right um yeah i i gave it a, a little bit of thought but um No, I mean, to be fair, it's a hell of an honour. You know, it's a labour of love. And uh, crikey, to have been doing it now, what? It must be 20 20 years now. You know, so I've had a good run. Well, well,
0: that was when I fully started going. I remember the Sheffield United game and I remember the singing the blues um, happening. Before we go, I want to talk about what your actual match day looks like. But you just mentioned him. Can you just talk to me about David Sheepshanks? And it sounds like he was... You know, from what I've heard, he was a bit of a character, a bit of an old school kind of chairman owner. Everything's personal and phone calls and, and things. T- yeah. t- tell me about Sheepshanks and what he was like as a boss.
4: You know what? David was great. Uh, I won't hear a bad word said about him. He was he was fantastic, you know. He'd, he'd always speak to you, handshake, smile, pat on the back. Uh, he'd praise you, uh, you know, when you got it right. And... He, he clearly loved the club, absolutely loved the club and was adamant that, you know, I get the crowd going, even if we were losing. Now, Rob, don't forget, even if we're behind at halftime, I still want you to get the crowd. You must get the crowd, you know, behind the team. So, you know, he kept you on your toes, no doubt about it. Um, and he, you know, every game he would come and say hello to us. Um, I, I did get him in a little bit of trouble once just going off you know, a little story here it was a a cup game against Manchester City, again it was a night game, it might have been a Saturday evening That was on BBC Rob It was on BBC and that's what landed me in trouble We
0: lost 4-1
4: That's it, and if you remember we conceded the first goal right on half time down the north stand end
0: Brilliant volley from a corner, I want to say Ale Berkovic
4: Okay, you, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. It was definitely a corner, but it shouldn't have been a corner. Uh, BBC showed a replay of the, you know, the ball going out of play, and it should have been a goal kick. And I was mightily pissed off that we were one 0 down, and it felt like a real injustice. So when the teams came back over the second half, I actually used that as motivation. I actually said, "Right, come on, everybody!" I've looked at the replay, leading up to the, the first goal. It should have been a goal kick. So we are unjustly behind. So come on, let's get back in this. Get get behind the, the team. Anyway, game kicked off. A few minutes later, the uh, club secretary, David Rose at the time, came running up. What did you say? What did you say? I've had the FA representative <laughs> onto me.
1: And Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first.
2: ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times.
3: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times. delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
4: You have potentially um, incited a riot here. I thought, hang on a minute, this is Ipswich Town, you know. But anyway, um, you're not allowed, of course, to criticise refereeing decisions. Uh, I think even clubs that have the big screens, they turn know, them off.
0: And, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. They don't show any contentious no moments because they don't want to show the or away
0: about. goals ever.
4: Oh right, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh okay. <laughs> So anyway, um, you know, David gave me a telling off. And on the Monday morning, David Sheepshanks rung, rang me. And uh, bless him, he was really good about it. He said, look, I'm obliged to point out the error of your ways. The FA could hit us with a 20, 30,000 pound Ooh. fine or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're going to. Let us off on the understanding that I tell you never, ever to do that again. He said, I know where you're coming from. I know how you feel. That's why he hired uh, you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. But no, David was was great. He really was. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I remember after we'd gone into administration, I bumped into David and he looked crestfallen and close to tears and he said to me do you know what Rob we just needed to sell one player we just needed either I don't know if I'm giving away any company secrets here it was a long time ago now I think probably everyone knows this but they just needed I think Matt Holland or Herman Riderson to agree a move and that would have you know kept the Wolves at the door um, is that the right expression?
3: The wolves from the
0: wolves <laughs> from the door. I, I think. Yes, but I think. Um, I mean, obviously, we should say that um, Rob's Rob's on here, and he's obviously he works for Marcus Evans. So we're not going to be asking him um, some questions that people maybe maybe want me to ask. But I think what a lot. I,
4: I, I will just say this, Ben. I have met him. Okay, I, intro- I introduced myself to him. I saw him turning up at the ground, and he happened to be coming up the stairs at just about the right time so I introduced myself to him I said I'm Rob Chandler I'm you know the match day announcer and uh, he was absolutely charming he said oh well it's only taken me five years to meet you how are you Rob shook my hand we had a chat about the current state of uh, affairs you know obviously five or six years ago Um, so that one encounter he was he was absolutely fine you know really came across as a nice guy Uh, so I will say that but yes, you're right. I obviously <laughs> have to be careful. No, uh, I, I,
0: I, I think the point I was going to make, and I mean, you've just basically um, sort of solidified it, is that on the one hand, you have this guy who you have a personal relationship, who's even telling the announcer what to what to say when you know when the away team has scored, and on the other hand, it took you five years to to meet the other guy. But look. Rob, I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you about any of that stuff. So, um don't worry about that. What I would do want to know is can you take me through the um the match day? So, um yeah. in particularly, um when do you appear? What do you see? Where do you get to go? Um who comes up with the format, et cetera, et cetera. Um take tell t- me mm. tell me through what do you get to see that the rest of us would love to see but don't get to?
4: Um not a great deal, Ben. Everyone imagines I've got this, you know, Trip, behind Triple the scenes. A pass, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's changed somewhat through the years. I mean, I can stand, you know, I'm going to walk into a joke here, but I mean, I could stand down on the pitch at 10 to 3 and it seemed, I look around and it seems pretty empty. Some people will say you could stand there at 10 past 3 and it looks <laughs> that way. But, you know, I mean, back in, shall we say, slightly more successful times, you know, people used to turn up well in advance of kickoff and you could begin to build that atmosphere. So that's the one thing that's become quite difficult really to, you know. um, I'm there usually about an hour and a half before kickoff and I usually start just after an hour before 3 o'clock or 6.45 6.45 on a, for a night game. Do you write the format, the, Rob? No, the script is is written for me. Uh, obviously, within that, there's room for ad-libbing. You know, for example, when I interview the mascots or the community champion or any ex-players and we do the halftime games, you know, I can sort of, you know, introduce my own take on that. And, you know, through the years... You know, nothing is more enjoyable, Ben, than standing on the pitch, cracking a joke and hearing the crowd laughing at it, taking the mick out of, you know, one of the penalty takers or, you know, whatever the halftime entertainment is, something like that. And, of course, the I suppose, you know, one of the advantages that I have is when I have to interview someone like Ray Crawford, France Tyson, Arnold Murrell... Wow. You know, yeah, any of the old guys, I mean, heroes, absolute heroes. I'm a little bit like you. I can recall certain games and moments and I bring those up, you know, with these guys. And I like to think the crowd appreciate my knowledge and my love of the the club, Um, you know, and, and they're half decent interviews to listen to. Obviously, you know, there's a bit of an issue with the PA system. It doesn't it's not perfect for everybody everywhere in the ground. I'm aware of that. But um So, really yeah. really
0: nerdy question, Rob. You don't have yeah. any kind of monitors or anything. You are coming back just off the off the off the boomy speakers, yeah?
4: Yeah, it takes a bit of getting used to. It is weird you you speak into that mic and you can hear yourself sort of echoing around the ground. So, it's a bit weird in that respect. Interesting. Uh, but in in terms of the music I mean I still have if I have any ideas I'll share them with the club I used to you know have a lot more input but by and large now the music is chosen by the club um, you know the music that the teams walk out to is chosen by the club the goal music uh, back in the day which we don't have now of course um, Sweet Caroline, which I know isn't everybody's cup of tea. Not down to me, folks. Not down to me. Um, You know, I mean, yeah, if I have an idea, I'll suggest it. And if they like it, it will be, you know, implemented. But by and large, I'm the voice,
0: Mm. Um, you know. Can you talk to me about, um, you know, probably tricky, um, but minute silences and things like that where you're the one setting this up and I assume there's been over that span and um, how you deal with that and can you just parlay that into the recent Kevin Beatty thing because you would have had to kind of stage manage uh, a lot of that and that was a pretty tough night I think for a lot of people there wasn't it
4: well sadly I missed that game I oh was of course 100. you did
0: I beg your pardon Rob sorry yeah
4: yeah I missed I missed that game and was gutted because Kevin Beatty and I co-hosted a Saturday show on Radio Suffolk for a while Lovely guy, so we got to know each other quite well. So I was gutted that I wasn't there for that.
5: Mm. You know, having seen I him
4: make. His no, 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 no problem. Having seen him make his debut for us and admired him as we all did back in the day, you know that was a, an incredibly sad night. But no, I was away for that one. But um, yeah, it's um, do you know it's quite scary, Ben, it's, as you you know because most fans will know when there's going to be a minute's silence or a minute's applause, and they will see the players forming up and the referee you know referee gives me the nod and i i begin my spiel from the script and it goes really quiet mm. and i'm suddenly aware of the silence and the fact that everybody's listening to me and i've got to get this right no slips now get it right you know uh and there've been one or two occasions where i've had to liaise with sky sky have been covering it so Bobby- there Sir Bobby Well yeah I think that was The Beeb mm. But there have Been some with Sky where The producer Comes over A director Whatever he is And he said Right Rob We need you To get this Bang on for Timing And I'm Oh god You know So the players Are coming out And he's Right Get going Get going You know And uh, luckily I've, I've hit everyone Bang on And he's given me A pat on the back And said You know I don't get this cooperation everywhere So you know Well done but I'm going to, maybe I should keep quiet about this one because probably everyone's forgotten. But my most horrendous uh, moment with a minute's silence, this will forever haunt me, Ben, was after we lost John Lyle. And for some reason, I was down on the pitch. I did the teams. And um, I, I started to make my way back up to the box. And I got there. I suddenly became aware of, this silence, you know, and I thought, well, this is odd. And someone said, the minute silence, the minute silence. I just totally forgotten, totally forgotten the minute silence for John Lyle. And I mean, you can imagine how awful I felt for the rest of that game. I mean, and for weeks afterwards, you know, and even now, as I recall it, but what can I say? We're all human. We all make mistakes. It was just one of those moments that I just brain freeze and so any time now there's a minute silence, I always have someone next to me, please, just say to me, minute silence, just remind me, you know, so that never happens again. So apologies to anyone who was, you know, upset by that. I was mortified.
0: Absolutely. Um, talk to me about goals then. Um, two, two sides of this. Um, what Let's let's talk about the away team scoring first because sometimes you sound grumpy as hell. It's quite funny. Um, are you under any any instruction um, when when the away team scores what you've got to do? Do
4: you know what? I'm not sure, Ben. If it's an actual FA requirement that you announce the away team goals or what? I do it, and I, you know, obviously I'm feeling peed off about it, so I will sound grumpy. You know, that's not me trying to just appease the crowd. That is genuinely me being pissed off. (laughs) I mean, in the local derbies.
0: Oh, no, the the... (laughs) 5-1.
4: Well, I think, you know, by the time it was 4-1, I just, I I was just resigned to it. You know, so I just said it in a kind of a matter of fact sort of way. But there have been times where I've been so... Annoyed about it. I've not even bothered doing it. I just couldn't bring myself to say goal scorer, you know, James Madison or whoever. I just, I just ignored it. Um,
0: do you have, a, have you got a monitor up there? Is there ever a point where you're like, who scored that goal? Who scored that goal? I didn't quite see it. It was up, up the other end. I don't want to get this wrong. Someone tell me who scored the
4: goal. Well, do you know what? For years, when I first started doing the job and for many seasons after, we used to have a halfway line spotter guy called Justin he used to have a lovely seat, one of the best seats in the house. Can I have I think that the, Yeah. Do you know what? He, he was either in the director's box or right next to it, and he had a walkie-talkie, and he would tell us about the substitutions because, obviously, he was looking right down at the dugout, so he would say, yeah, it's going to be uh, number 12 for them coming on for number 7 or, you know, goal scorer. Well, sometimes he struggled to see it, but he said, I think it was number 10, we could wait for sky to verify it so there have been times where we thought who the hell scored that no idea we just just had to leave it um but a few years back poor old justin uh got the um the heave ho so we don't have that spotter anymore so we just have to do the best we can i usually there are three other people in the box with me Terry, who's playing the music, Peter, who does the scoreboard, and Neil, who's the uh, marketing guy at the club. He's usually in the box. So I just, before I make any any announcement, I will say, right, Waghorn got that, yes? All agreed, Waghorn? Yeah. Or, you know, I think that was number 10. Did anyone else agree that, number 10? Um, there, is a, there is a monitor we can go to, I think, and it usually homes in on the goal scorer or... You can just tell by the body language, you know, all the players going to the scorer. And sometimes you just have to, if he scored down the north stand, then you just have to wait for him to turn around so you can see his number. So if ever there's a slight delay, it's because I'm just waiting to see who it was or I'm waiting for Sky to verify it. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, there's some brilliant documentaries about the Aguero Manchester City goal. And one of the best bits is... They've got the guy who does your job for Man City and they, they said they were literally rolling on the floor celebrating and someone's like cue goal on the on the screen or whatever um, have, have you ever have you ever lost it and been oh, God, so yes. into the game that you've then completely messed up the announcement or I don't know blown the speakers or whatever because you went too crazy.
4: Some people who've sat in the right sort of areas will know that in seasons gone by, in a big game with an important goal, I've actually leapt up onto the the tabletop, (laughs) and I've been at the window, at the glass, like this. And the police control room next door are like, get down, get down. (laughs) And the Bolton game, the Bolton game. Yeah, the 5-3. When Magilton equalised in the last minute, made it 3-3, I leapt so high... I punched out one of those uh, oh, the
0: panels in the roof
4: panels in the ceiling you know the sort of the um, uh, the honeycomb kind and it fell down and caught the cheek of one of my colleagues and cut cut his cheek <laughs> and that that panel laid you know propped up against the the, uh, the post for quite some time before they put it back so uh, yeah definite yes to answer that question <laughs> um-
0: do you remember, I don't know how much you recall this, the last game of the North Stand, um, you went and stood on the North Stand. I did. Did you have an open mic and was it open during the game? Because I'm sure I remember hearing some choice stuff coming through the, the stadium PA. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm sure, well, they've got control of the mic back in the, uh, in the booth. Whether or not... From memory, they might have left the mic channel open. I think they left it open. I think they might have done. Then I had the option of switching it on or off at the bottom of the mic. So you may be right, but that was the 2 1 against Man City, wasn't it? The Royce uh, header down the north end. And if you watch that back, I can actually see myself because I'm standing down the front and I can actually see myself on that footage celebrating the goal. And then, did you? And then, of course, announcing it. (laughs) Yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I mean, the North Stand was where I went to see my very first game, standing on a milk crate, you know, at the age of seven. And I just thought, for the last game of that North Stand, I should be there. Just felt it, just felt right.
0: Interesting, very good. Um, just talk to me about this because you, you you must remember the, the the Premier League comes and Sky take everything over, and you've got cheerleaders and and whatnot. And it looked like they were going to try and. Give it the American sport presentation, and and you, you've already mentioned that oh, we have a penalty shootout at halftime. What is it about English audiences that don't necessarily take to the kind of Rasmataz I remember you tried to do the German thing of getting the crowd to say back the the scorer's name. Just talk talk to me about um, football as a entertainment razzmatazz, and why why aren't English audiences necessarily interested?
4: I I don't know, Ben, to be honest. I do remember trying to introduce that thing of the crowd shouting back the the surname, and it actually began to take off. But for whatever reason, the club decided not to go with it. Um, They also didn't like my idea of having Lulu's Shout as the goal celebration music. We tried it for one game, we scored and it was a hey, 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 hey." I thought it's quite good, but they knocked that on the head. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, the cheerleaders kind of divided the crowd, didn't they, as well? Some thought they were great and others thought, you know, no place for that sort of thing in football. Um, I do remember David Sheepshanks had an Australian secretary back in the day and she used to be quite involved with, you know the whole match day presentation thing, and she wanted. She had. <laughs> this was never going to be taken on, but she wanted. When a player for the opposition was sent off, she wanted us to play.
0: Na 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 na. Yeah, nah, really.
4: <laughs> hey, 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 goodbye. How, how did you know that?
0: They do that in wrestling. Did you know that? I watch wrestling.
4: Yeah. He wanted that. Do you remember Wimbledon used to play the Jaws music when they got a corner? <laughs>
0: During the game, yeah, (laughs) amazing
4: when Wimbledon got a corner back in the day. No, here comes John Fashion, ridiculous, yeah,
0: unbelievable. Um, any, um, any mistakes, funny pronunciation things that you, Uh, you can, you can, any, any,
4: can you imagine? Can you imagine what my life is like now, Ben? I get the team sheet, and the first thing I do is look at the opposition, right. Oh, my God. You know, some of the names now are are real... None
0: of your counterparts can say Bielkowski. They all say Bilikowski. Every single one. Ridiculous. Sorry, carry on.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some of the names now, Ben. I long for the, you know, the bygone days when it was Smith and Jones and Brown and, you know, Thompson. Some of the names now, you know, actually, the other night, Middlesbrough, I mean, they've got some... You know some testing names but i knew them all i recognized all of them the challenge comes when there's a there's a name on there and you think well i've no idea who that is i've no idea how to pronounce that what i will often do in that situation is either seek out an away fan uh in the disabled area or i'll approach you know the opposition coach or manager or something you know and ask them because, yeah, there's some real testers. Uh, there was one game, and it was Halloween, because I remember a guy called Steve, who used to do a, a newspaper column for the uh, for the East Anglian, commented on it. Back in the day, the full-time results were sponsored by One Railways. Right. One, no, One Railway. If you've ever tried saying a word beginning with W next to a word beginning <laughs> with R,
0: Jonathan, Wayne Rooney... Jonathan Ross, the, yeah. <laughs>
4: The, the number of times I've heard Rain Rooney, people trip over Rain yeah. Rooney. Anyway, I, I tripped over up over one railway, rung and it and it made the guys either side of me start laughing. And I was trying to read the scores out, and I got the giggles, and to the point where I was just, you know, I'd just gone big time. <laughs> and I saw people looking up, and I think S- Steve Mellon, if you remember yeah, that yeah, name, know, Steve yeah. Mellon, said something about mysterious ghostly... Laughing coming from the PA, <laughs> was it? Was it something to do with Halloween? So yeah.
0: Um, before we go onto your your favourites, uh, your favourite players um, and uh, games that you've you've announced, um, tra- treading carefully obviously because we know you're an employee. Uh, can you quickly give me your thoughts on the current team and the current um, current manager? Obviously, we're recording this um, the day. For- <laughs> You know where I'm going with this We're recording this the day before the Swansea game So um, if, if anything were to have changed I'll, I'll, do, I'll do some editing But thoughts on the current um, current team And current manager Rob
4: You know I what I was thrilled when we got Paul Hurst And uh, I was thinking It can only be better now It has to be better You know Let's have some attacking football Let's see when we're on the attack Two, three, four plays in the box You know, and maybe that will come. Maybe we just need the right personnel in there. I'm thrilled to see Andre DiSelle back in the side because I think he is just an amazing footballer. I love watching him. You know, the way he finds space. He appears to just glide over the pitch. He can pick a pass. Absolutely love Andre DiSelle. So maybe we can get him fit and it will change things. Emmy Hughes to come back in. Um... But, you know, I I look at a, a successful team and there are three or four sources uh, from which you think goals will come. You know, all the best teams have a couple of strikers who you know will get your goals, a couple of midfielders who can get your goals. You know, I think we just need that. But I think it's a confidence thing at the moment, Ben. And the longer this winless run goes on, the more it gets in the players' heads. I mean, 2-0 up at Birmingham at half-time. You know, surely that had to be the one that broke the sequence. And yet somehow you knew when Birmingham got back in it three minutes into the second half, you were just waiting for a Birmingham equaliser. But I will say this we mentioned the early Bobby Robson days, you know, and the crowd were booing and wanted Robson out. Look what happened. I remember John Lyle's first season here. We didn't look anything special. His second season here, we started playing the ball, we were scoring goals, we were promoted. You know, let's, let's give him time because clearly he's got something about him. Uh, all new managers need time to implement their way of doing things. I'm sure it will come. We just need that first win and I think the rest will follow.
0: <laughs> and we'll caveat this again by saying this is probably going to go out in about a week's time. So if either of us end up with egg on our face with any comments, um, Rob, talk to me about your favourite um, your favourite matches since you've been announcing. One of my favourite memories of you is after Dale Roberts died and Sheffield United, and you uh, you really went for it on the on the pitch. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about about that moment and what you said and why you said it and your favourite games that you've announced?
4: Do you know, I've got to give a guy called Mike Noy credit for the Sheffield United game and the, and the use of Tom Hark because he'd been up to Bramall Lane for the cup match a couple of weeks before then. And he'd said how Sheffield United, had, you know, really milked that and that we should use it as a kind of a payback. And because 2-0 down, down to 10 men, I thought, well, <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time, but we're not going to get to hear this song. Little did we know... That we'd come back and you know win it three two as you say an emotional day after we lost Dale Roberts anyway but then to turn it around with ten men three two because blasting Tom Hark their own song giving it back to them was just incredible the other one that you know will long live in the memory of course is the late winner against Coventry where I think I actually announced the goal and sung ole 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 ole, ole <laughs> over the PA. You know, that was incredible. The Bolton game, of course. I don't... If I live to be 100, Ben, I don't I'll You'll never think I'll see anything ever, like
0: that again, no.
4: There'll never be anything like that. And I mean, you know, what it meant, what was at stake, just incredible. And, Rob, yeah. what
0: I always say to people is those three games, the two Bolton and then Barnsley, that was the payoff of a four-year story leading up yeah. to it. And, yeah. I mean, to have part in narrating that as well, Rob.
4: Yes, Oh, it was heartbreaking. I remember the first Bolton uh, playoff semifinal where, you know, we gave it our best shot and lost. I was in tears on the pitch. I was consoled by Stuart Gerald, you know, the ITV reporter, Stuart Gerald. <laughs> I just burst into tears. I couldn't, I, I just could not hold it in. And he actually hugged me. <laughs> God knows what that looked like from the stands. Um, I mean, oh, absolutely heartbreaking. And then to have to drive back up to Norwich and be on the radio the next morning in Norwich, you know, after those defeats, was tough to take. So, yeah, um, at the end of those, you know, the, the Bolton game where we finally made it and then beat Barnsley, I mean, I cried again, but happy tears this time. And as you say, after all those years of heartbreak, to finally get there was, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant.
0: You don't have to just from your announcing career, but just um, from your supporting career. Um, Two two or three players who who you've enjoyed watching the most?
4: Yeah. Um, Early days, my favourite player was Danny Hegan. I've always had something about wingers, you know, and how they can influence a game. So Danny Hegan was my boyhood hero, although Ray Crawford, of course, was always banging the goals in, so I love Ray Crawford as well. And later through the years... Uh, I was a big fan of Brian Hamilton, who now lives just down the road from me, ironically. Uh, Brian Hamilton was a fantastic goal-scoring midfielder. Um, Of course, the Dutchman. Franz Tyson I would pick out of the two. You know, was my favourite. And of course, I suppose in more recent times, Marcus Stewart. I mean, what a player. You know, what a clever footballer. Genius absolutely
0: Rob we know you have well you and I know that you have somewhere to be um just very very quickly before you go off um you're you're a fixture there are we going to keep seeing you there seasons to come
4: um for as long as the club want me Ben I'm happy to keep turning up and doing the job uh which hopefully will be for many seasons to come um but you know if they decide a change is due then um you know it'll be a sad day uh but I guess I'll uh revert to uh <laughs> the stands you'll be you back know, and carry in on this. carry on following the blues but no hey i it you know i'd love to do it for another 20 years let, let's let wait and see that's up to the club i'm happy to carry on doing it for as long as they want me and for as long as the fans want me to be fair uh you know and the fans have been great with me uh thanks for all those votes in the uh those were the days Questionnaire. <laughs>
0: Brilliant stuff, <laughs> Rob. Thank you so much for your time. I know you've got to get off. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter?
4: Uh, at Radio Rob C. Uh, no, hang on. At Ray. What am I? At Radio Rob. Yeah. <laughs>
0: at Radio it? Rob. Radio
4: Rob C. Uh, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll, it? we'll take you. We'll take. We'll <laughs> take you in the <laughs> podcast, Rob.
4: Thank you. Hang on. I'll, I'll have a look at my phone It's it, it, at Radio to, Rob C isn't
0: it I might be able to find it quicker than you Rob if I go in my
4: <laughs> At Radio Rob C At Radio.
0: Radio Rob C Ladies and gentlemen the voice Of Ipswich Town Match Days at Portman Road Rob Rob thank you very much And um See you soon
4: Cheers Ben I've enjoyed it thanks mate <laughs>
3: It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping. But in you swoop to steal the last Nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant.